Good morning. I don't need it. We'll be all right. It's a great way to start. Nice to see all of you. I hope you're all doing really well today. Um, we are in week three of this series that is called Living Questions, where we're acknowledging the fact that as human beings, we find ourselves journeying throughout life, different stages, different moments, and there's these really big questions that we end up asking ourselves. And the way we answer these questions matter, the way we live these questions matter because they ultimately shape us. They shape the way we relate to others, they shape the way we relate to ourselves, they shape the way we relate to God and the kind of life we end up living. And I believe that God cares about how we journey through these questions, has a lot to say about it, and, and ultimately that's why we're speaking to them. They're not just ones you come up with an easy answer for, they're questions that have to be journeyed through. They are living questions. And as we've walked through this, we've looked at a couple of different ones. The very first week was, who am I and who will I become? Which is a big question that a lot of us face at different times. I believe last week was, am I loved and am I known? Next week, we're going to look at this idea of what is my legacy and what does that mean even as I move forward in life and all of this. And today, today we're going to look at this question, does my life matter? Does my life matter? There's a really big question. I know I want to acknowledge something really quick, and it's that when I walked out, it said, do I like the life I've created? I want you to know that's the question we started with here. And as we've journeyed with it and kind of explored uh, and even just moved to teach through it, I, I want to take it to one step further and ultimately ask that question, does my life matter? So if you're wondering, that's why. But it is. It's a really big question, isn't it? And it's an awkward question. It's an uncomfortable question to ask ourselves. At least I think it is because well, yeah, we all know the answer to that question. Does my life matter? Here's the thing. If I were to take a survey of this room and walk around, you know, and just stop you and ask you, does your life matter? You'd look at me and you'd probably go, yes, yes, my life matters. And if I were to have to make you take that a step further, uh, you, you know, there'd be a myriad of answers that are all in the room that I'd get back. But I, you may be tempted to answer me theologically and you'd say, yes, God created me. And because of that, like my life matters, you know, like because of who God is. And yes, my life matters. You may be tempted to answer that question morally. I have sought to live a really good life. I want to contribute good to this world and contribute good to people around me. And in doing so, I'm living a life that matters. So yes, my life matters. Some of us might want to answer that practically, where it's like, look, I have people in my life that I matter to and that depend upon me. And in that way, yes, my life matters. There are all sorts of ways we can answer the question. But here's the truth of it. It's just because we all really rationally in our heads know the answer. When somebody asks you the question, does your life matter? The answer is yes. Yeah, we know that. And so I don't have to teach that, you already know that answer. It's a pat answer that you already have, like you know the understanding behind it. And that here's the troubling thing. Here's the hard part about this question is just because our rational minds know the answer doesn't mean that our hearts stop asking the question. That's the tough one on this. Is despite the fact that everybody in here, if I were to go through asking the question, would for the most part say, yes, yes, my life matters, yes. Just because you know that rationally in your head does not mean that your heart stops asking that question. Well, that's the hard part about it. Because some of us have been working a job. Some of you have been working a job for a long time, maybe. Day after day, you wake up, you get ready, you do the same thing, you go to the same job and you do the same work. And you started that job with enthusiasm and energy. You started that job trying to accomplish something and trying to become someone. And yet now it's not a hill you're climbing, it's just a job you're enduring. And you just kind of show up day after day 
doing thing after thing. And every now and then you kind of pause for a minute and you pop your head up and you look around and you ask yourself the question, this voice from within your heart starts to ask the question, does my life matter? In those really honest of moments, does my life matter? Some of us find ourselves, you know, it's not that we go to work every day in terms of a job out there, but the job is that we're raising a family. You know, whether we're a mom, dad, whatever, it's that that's the thing. Like, and we've devoted our lives to this and it's really hard because you've got to keep someone alive. And that's tough. That's really the brass tacks of it. You have to keep someone alive. Like, that's hard enough. And then you've got to teach them things. That's even harder. And there's work to that. And it's easy to get, have this question begin to emanate from our heart and that. I remember a moment where we were sitting at the dinner table. It was several years ago. My oldest daughter was two at the time. And, you know, my wife is just, like, working so hard with my daughter and always there for her and all this stuff. I came home from work one day. We're sitting at, uh, at the dinner table. And uh, my, my daughter looks at me and goes, Dad, I'm so happy you're home. I love you. And my wife looks at her and goes, hey, what about me? And my daughter goes, stone face, two-year-old, stone face, looks at my wife and goes, if you were lost in a cave, I wouldn't come looking for you. <laughs> That's hilarious. It's like the scariest movie you've ever seen, right? I know. I was just like, pfft. my wife, her whole face was just kind of like blown up. You know, I can't believe this happened. And then my daughter was like, pass the food or something. Like there was nothing, like it wasn't even a moment. Don't worry, she, if you've ever met her, she's a sweet little kid, I promise. Like whatever happened in that moment was neat. I don't know. But I laughed really, really hard. I, I remind my wife of this like once a month. It's a great story. Does my life matter, right? In that moment, you look at your kid, does my life matter? <laughs> She, I mean, think about this though. Some of you, you've been parenting for a long time. You've been raising families and now it's not that you're trying to keep somebody alive. Now you've got people, now you've got children that are people. You know, they're grown adults that are making their own life and they're creating their own life around them and deciding who they are gonna become and parenting's a little different these days. And all of a sudden you pause every now and then and you kind of lift your head up and you look around and you go, wait, is this it? Does my life matter? We all know what it is to ask that question at some place at some point in our lives. And if you don't, I promise there will come a day when you do. It's a really, really big question. But thankfully, we're not alone in asking that. It is a human question. It's a really important one. And the Bible asks it. In fact, there is an entire book of the Bible that is consumed with this question. Does my life matter? What makes a life meaningful? What is it? What do we do? What is it here? Is it there? What is it? And this book is called Ecclesiastes, and it's written by a guy who is ultimately consumed with this question and relentlessly, relentlessly pursues after this question. Does my life matter? What will make it matter? What if I do that? What if I do this? What if I try that? Does it matter? And that guy's name is Solomon. Solomon is the richest king in the history of the nation of Israel as far as scripture is concerned. Richest king, one of the most prosperous of kings. When Solomon became king, he asked God for wisdom. God gave him wisdom, and he's known as the wisest king. In fact, in your Bibles, there is a section of scripture called the wisdom literature. It is Proverbs, Song of Solomon, and Ecclesiastes, all of which are written by Solomon. Very, very wise king. And so you have this prosperous king, this very wise king, and a king who at a time had riches and all kinds of, of resource available to him. And the unique thing about Solomon is he, he's able to live like five lives in one because he has the capacity to do it. He's got the resources and the availability to do it. And so he's this amazing person to learn from. And he's consumed with this question, does my life matter? Before we even get into Ecclesiastes, I just want to pause and recognize that he's consumed with this question because I hope that gives you a sense of comfort. That a guy who 
is known as being the most wise king ever, blessed by God, the guy who has prosperity, a guy who has power, a guy who has rule, a guy who has all of these different things, still finds himself asking the question, does my life matter? And I hope we learn from him today. And so I wanna read, picking up in uh, Ecclesiastes chapter one, and we're gonna begin, these are the words of Solomon, begin at verse two. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. And he's referring to himself as the preacher. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind and on its circuits, the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. This is how Solomon opens the book of Ecclesiastes. Pretty downer book, right? I mean, if we're really honest about it, it seems that way. As we open this to read it, it's kind of like, welcome to the human experience where every day rises like the next and we wake up and do the same things. Rivers pour and your rivers flow, but they never ultimately fill up anything. From where one thing goes, it ultimately returns. There is just one day after the next. There is no new day. Every day is just kind of like the next one. There's nothing new under the sun. You're like, wow. Right? That can sound kind of bleak. And it sounds like there might be a little bit of a downer experience here. And yet I also want to acknowledge that maybe that's one perspective. What I would like to say is that I think it's really honest. Because I think this is what life feels like when we come to find ourselves really asking the question, when our hearts, despite our, our rational minds knowing better, when our hearts begin to truly ask the question, does my life matter? It's in these kind of moments. It's when you see the road stretch on in front of you and you're like, I just know what the next day is and the next thing is. It's when you look around and you survey, what is it that I've done that actually matters and how do I know? And it just seems like everything gets covered over and replaced. What do I do? It's really honest. And so I, I love that about it. I also love what he says in verse two. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. I wanna pause with that because I think it's a complicated word. Because when we hear the word vanity in our you know, American translations and our understanding of English, the, the term, if you were to look this up in an English dictionary, the number one definition for vanity is arrogance, right? Conceited, it's having an overinflated view of yourself. Right? You're so vain. Some of you immediately thought of a song. I think I heard somebody say, you probably think this song is about you. But that's what we think of, right? That's the word vanity. That's how we relate with it. And yet that's not what's meant here. If you're reading from an NIV translation this morning, it says meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless, right? In the version that I read, it's vanity of vanities. That word that's translated for vanity ultimately means Vapor or breath. Vapor or breath. And I want you to think about that for a moment. That's the word he's using. Vapor, vapor. Everything is vapor. What does that mean? 
Well, it reminds me of when I was a little kid and I'm flying in an airplane for the first time and you look out the window and you see the clouds, right? What are clouds essentially made of? They're a vapor, aren't they? And you look out and you see these clouds and I remember thinking, I really wish there was a door in the plane I could jump out of so I could go play on the clouds. You know, like a kid would. Because you see a cloud and it's there. You can see it, it's static, like there it is. And yet what would happen if I'd open the door to jump out and grab a hold of that cloud? As soon as I saw the cloud, I'd be through the cloud and I'd be just crashing down into the earth, right? I'd be holding nothing. Even if I jumped out and was just like, okay, I've heard that you fall through clouds, but I'm gonna grab a hold of one and see what I have in my hand. As I was falling and I opened my hand, what would I see? Nothing, if anything, just water droplets there to remind me of what I hoped to grab but didn't. Vapor, vapor, meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. That's what he's pointing to. Because when you're asking the question, when your heart begins to ask the question, does my life matter? You find yourself pausing every now and then. Like I said, you survey life around you. You begin to examine your days and examine the life that you're living. And you wanna grab at your career. You wanna grab at the role you've been playing. You wanna grab at the thing you've been occupying your time with and doing. And you reach out and you hope to hold it in your hand and you wanna open it and examine it to see, is this it? Is this matter? Like, let's, let's look at this. And when you open your hand, what Solomon is saying is it's just vapor it too will pass. And this is what this is like. Solomon keeps asking and we keep asking, does my life matter? As he points our way through the book. As we continue this morning, looking at just kind of the journey he's on in Ecclesiastes and a passage in chapter five in a little bit, I wanna ultimately give us three challenges and I wanna acknowledge something. This question, does my life matter, is not one that I can answer for you or offer you an answer to today. Here's what I can do. I can say yes, and you can all nod your heads. We already agree. Like we know the rational answer here, and yet each of us is on a journey to find the truth of that answer within ourselves. We're not content with it up here. We want to feel it. We want to know it. We want to live it. And so as you seek to journey, as you seek to live this question, does my life matter? I wanna offer you three challenges to help guide you along your way, wherever God chooses to take you in whatever direction it is that you choose to go in. And so here is the first challenge this morning, and it's this. I want you to trust that nothing is wasted in God's economy. That's the challenge. I want you to trust that nothing is wasted in God's economy. Let's think about Solomon for a moment. So we just read this opening section, which really he's kind of saying, here's where I'm going with this book. Here's kind of what I have surveyed here. And in fact, I want to read you verse 13 and 14. He says, and I applied my heart, because that's the journey this is. This is a journey of the heart. I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. Verse 14, I have seen everything that is done under the sun. And behold, All is vanity, all is vapor and a striving after the wind. Solomon goes on this journey and I love Solomon's tenacity. I really do. I love the way he asks this question and I love that he doesn't just settle for one answer. In chapter one, he starts with wisdom. Maybe I'm gonna pursue wisdom for wisdom's sake as a virtue unto itself and that's what's gonna make my life matter. And he ends with it's vapor. It is like a chasing after the wind. Chapter two, he goes on to, I'm going to pursue pleasure and I'm going to pursue self-gratification and sex and relationships in different ways. Basically what I want to gratify myself with and he ends with that and it's vapor. It's a chasing after the wind. 
as you continue to read through, it's one thing after the next. It really is. He, he goes from, it's about, you know, this job and this work to ultimately it's about having money and having wealth to ultimately, he tries all of these things. He even goes so far as to say, and then I tried to live a life of honor and then I tried a life of wickedness and I observed that. And in the end, he uses this word again and again and again, vapor, vapor, vapor. It was all like a chasing after the wind. Solomon uses the word vapor 38 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's only 12 chapters. 38 times he uses this word vapor. Now, if we were to look at his life the way we often look at our own, what we would say is, man, he keeps doing the same thing. He keeps going through life and he tries one thing and then he tries the next and every time he keeps coming back holding vapor. He's wasting his time, right? I mean, how many years did this take? How much resources did this take? How much time and energy? How much toil? How much of his heart? How much of just people around him were affected? I mean, how much did this really cost? And he keeps coming, he keeps doing this. It's just a waste, isn't it? Because that's how we would be, or how we'd have a tendency to look at our own lives. And yet, nothing is wasted in the economy of God. I want you to hear that. This is a message that flows all throughout Scripture. Nothing is wasted in the economy of God. None of that time is lost. God does not lose things. God does not waste time, neither his nor yours. Nothing is wasted in the economy of God. I want you to think about this. We know the story of Joseph, right, in the Old Testament. Joseph and his brothers, he's got the coat of many colors. There's a Broadway show about it at some point in time. There's a cartoon movie. A lot of us know what Joseph is and what he did. He's the guy who's sold into slavery, a guy who gets cast into a well, a guy who, when he gets out of a well is forced to serve as like a servant, a slave in somebody's house, a guy who then is thrown into prison, a guy who's forgotten about in prison, a guy who finally rises out of that and in the very end gets to this spot where he's the most second He's the second most powerful person in the most powerful nation in that era, in that region especially. And that's a really big deal. You can look at Joseph's life and say, man, it's like he took a massive detour. Man, it's like he wasted a ton of time rotting away in a cell, in a well, as a servant, as a slave, all this stuff. What a waste. And yet what's the most powerful line from the entire story of Joseph? You get to the end of this whole thing. He's standing in front of his brothers. He's now super powerful and they are super terrified because of what they have done to him. And he looks at them and he says what you intended for evil, God intended for good. Was it a waste? Was it a detour? Absolutely not. Because nothing is wasted in God's economy. Do you realize Jesus doesn't start his earthly ministry as we know it until about 30? And then we know very little. We know a little bit, but very little about kind of what happened in those other years. He grew in different things. Is that because those years were wasted? No, nothing is wasted in God's economy. And today, here we all read a book called Ecclesiastes because a guy with the tenacity of Solomon and the wisdom and resources to do it went turning over every rock and opening every door to say, will this make my life matter? Will this make my life matter so that we might all learn from him as he learned himself? Nothing is wasted in God's economy. There was a moment in my life where I found myself uh, leaving Tucson, Arizona. I knew that I wanted to be a pastor. In fact, I, I was working in ministry at the time. I was working in youth ministry, and I was even ordained as a minister before I left. But I knew that I wanted to study Bible and theology and learn some things and do a little more before I fully invested myself in a church someplace. And so I went off to Chicago where I studied, you know, get a degree in Bible and a degree in theology. That's what I'm going to do. 
And while I was there, I had bills to pay. I was married and we were trying to make it and didn't have very much money or anything. And so I got a job in retail uh, to help make ends meet so that Amber and I could pay our bills. And I look at that era of my life, and for so long I've looked and just been like, I got lost along the way. It's like, what a massive detour, because a couple of months of retail ended up turning into several years. You know, I didn't know exactly what the thing was that I was supposed to do, or what church I was going to be a part of, or what was the opportunity there, and so here I was in retail doing this. Now, if you don't know this, I want to acknowledge something. There are people that love retail, like they love it, they, 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 they're born for it for some reason, and that's great, more power to them. There are probably great retail companies to work for out there that are amazing places to work, but for the most part, here's what you need to know. People who work in retail talk about their experience in retail as though they had spent time at Alcatraz. They do. If you know somebody, like that's generally the way they talk about it. It's like they got, they made their way out to an island where they got left. And then every day they, they come out and they do their thing on the island and they go look for a boat to come take them back to shore. And they're like, no boat again today. And they walk back in. It's like they got stuck on Alcatraz and that can be how it feels sometimes to people. That's how I looked at it. Let me tell you something really interesting as I kind of stand in this place in my life now and survey and look back. If I'm really honest, I have used every bit as much of what I learned in retail through retail management and sales and people and customers and the whole bit in ministry as a pastor now as I use the Bible and theology degree that I went off to get. I looked at it as a detour like I was lost and yet there is no time wasted. There is nothing wasted in God's economy, not even retail. So what is there in your life that you find looking back at and you go, man, that was a massive detour and a waste of my time? Is that where you're at right now? Where you look at your own life and you're like, am I just wasting this? Have I gotten lost? Am I stuck on a detour and the life I'm supposed to live is over here and I just can't, I haven't gotten there yet? Do you find yourself feeling like if I just got out of this thing, then everything would be so much better and this is just a waste. Nothing is wasted in God's economy and I want that to be an encouragement to you. And the reason is it a challenge is because that is something you have to trust. It's not just the truth to know here, it's something you have to trust and place your life in. As you live through this life, may it empower you to continue moving forward, living the question, does my life matter? Which brings us to the second thing here this morning. And that second thing is this, don't look to something to give your life meaning that isn't capable of giving it. Don't look to something to give your life meaning that isn't capable of giving it. This is a message that is proclaimed loud and clear again and again and again from the book of Ecclesiastes. I encourage you, we're, we're, we read the opening part of chapter one, we're gonna jump to chapter five in just a little bit, but for right now, I want you to like, consider this. Go home and read through this book and what you're gonna find is you see this message over and over and over again. Don't look to something to give your life meaning that isn't capable of giving it. Solomon falls into the same kind of trap that I think often so many of us do. And that's why the book's written the way it is and why he journeys through it the way he does. We often fall into this trap in our lives. If I just were doing blank, then my life would be better. And what we really mean is if I were just doing blank, then my life would matter. If I just had this, then my life would matter. If I was just doing this, then my life would matter. If I just had this in my life, then my life would matter. And this is what Solomon does, and he goes in search of it. 
If I just had wealth and riches and, and just had power in this way so that I could really make the choices I want and didn't have to live under the, under the weight of economic, you know, uh, of economic pressure and all this stuff, if I could just rise above that and finally have a life, then my life will matter. Well, he did, and he gets to the end. He says, nope, nope, vapor. It's just vapor. It's like chasing after the wind. Opens his hand and, nope, it's not there either. If I just had the job, if it was just this idea, this work and this thing that I could have, if I just did that, then my life would, mat nope, vapor. There's joy in it initially and there's like, wow, it's different and it's good. And then what you find is you brought the same disappointments into that job too. It's like a chasing after the wind. If I just had people who respected me and people who, who loved me and, this, and like looked up to me and, and heralded me in that way, then my, nope, it's not that either. Vapor. If I was just attractive, if I didn't have to live in this self every day where I felt so insignificant and insecure and I just was better and all of these things and people recognized that in me, that nope, vapor. And he goes just turning over stone after stone after stone looking, will this make my life matter? And what about when I examine this? And what about this? And what about when I live this way? Nope, nope, nope. We often find ourselves looking to something we are doing to give us a sense of meaning, to make our lives matter, and it's just not capable of giving it. And Solomon shows us this again and again and again. I experienced this in my own life when I was trying to get out of retail. If I could just do this, then my life will finally matter. People, when I was working in retail, would come up to me and they'd ask the question, like, so do you like, like, do you like retail? Is when I was doing man retail management. And, and if like people around, I'd be like, oh yeah, I love it. And they'd be like, no, I don't. No, and they'd say, well, why don't you like it? What is it about it? And I remember, I had like an answer. I have this answer memorized. I'm tired of selling overpriced sweaters to people who don't need them and trying to convince people to go into debt over a credit card that ultimately isn't what is really good for their lives. Said it over and over and over again. And then they'd say, well, that's kind of negative. What do you want? Like, what is it that you want, you know? And I'd say, I want to like be in ministry where I can tangibly love people and make a difference in people's lives and minister with the gospel of Jesus in the bankruptcy of people's hearts. That's what I want to do, you know? It sounds so poetic and meaningful, doesn't it? It's like, yes, that's where it is. And really all I was saying, just like Solomon says, just like so often many of us say, when I finally get to do that, then my life will matter. And then this weird thing happened. I got into ministry again. <laughs> and I became a youth pastor here, this church, and eventually even beyond youth ministry, you know, here I am with you all here, like it's been a journey. And I can acknowledge this, youth or ministry itself has these amazing moments. There are moments of meaning. There really are, they're meaningful moments and you get to be involved in people's lives and you get to uh, talk about the honesty of who God is and the honesty of who people are, which is a really powerful thing and do so many amazing things, I get that. But it's also a big giant pain in the butt. And I just wanna acknowledge that. If that leaves you unsettled, I want you to consider this for a moment. Well, one, let me just acknowledge this. I love my job. I want to clear that up. Like, I do. I love ministry. I love my job, and I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be here and, and all of that. But I, I want to acknowledge this. If any of what I just said leaves you unsettled, 
Working in ministry is ultimately like having a family dinner where you have cooked and prepared and you invited all of your Democrat family members and all of your Republican family members to join each other at the same meal. And you have this meal and you really hope that it like is sustaining and you really hope that like everybody kind of finds something good and nourishments and different stuff out of it. But you know at some point somebody is going to open up their mouth and at some point somebody else is going to feel insulted and the next moment there's going to be blood on the table. And by the time everybody leaves, you're going to find yourself feeling like you got hit by a truck and needing a nap so bad and wondering what happened to you. It's life, because it's people. That's just how, like, it, it's the difficult, it's just how it is with all of us, right? It's how people are. It's what any career is like. It's what anything is like. I found myself living in this space where I kept thinking, if I could just do ministry because it's noble, if I could just do ministry because it's, it's like for God and it's a good cause and it's all of these things, if I could just do that, then my life will matter. Those things matter, but they don't make my life matter. They don't answer the question deep in my own heart, just like the things in your life that you, stones you have flipped over don't answer that question in yours. And we see this textbook in our society, right? Last time I checked, it's been a while since I looked at these stats. The average pastor was, what, three to four years in his tenure? The average youth pastor was like a year and a half. If I could just do, and then, oh my goodness, I'm out. On to the next thing. You know, I, I've been here 10 years now, and I think one of the things that I have realized in my time here and as I've realized in talking with other people and different careers and different things is no job has the power to make your life matter. So whether you work at Raytheon, whether you're a stay-at-home parent, whether you're playing a role here, involved in this over here, none of that has the ability to ultimately answer the question that your heart will ask, and it is this, does my life matter? But that's okay. Because God answers that question for us, because only he can. Do you realize that you were created by the most powerful being in the universe? I know I say this a lot when I get up here, and so I'm going to say it again because I feel like we need to hear this constantly. You were created by the most powerful being in the universe, a being who precedes all other creation, and amidst all the options, amidst all the different things he could have done, amidst all the people and details and things that he could have created, he created you, which by its very definition makes you living, breathing, full of meaning, with purpose, to be exactly who you are. And it's not just that moment. He doesn't just create you and then send you off and go enjoy that and then watch you from afar with a telescope. He stays with you. Creator, the most powerful being in the universe, is with you, present in your life, moving forward, and so loves you that he continues to love you forward. And even in that, sent his son Jesus to die that we might ultimately find ourselves forgiven, rises again that we might find ourselves rising anew, full of life, embracing the spirit of God and being able to carry forward all of it moving with us. That is a lot of time, energy, and incredibly costly to God, which ultimately, friends, is like an anthem declaring the fact that your life matters. Matters so much. Will you accept that? I don't mean accept it like our rational heads accept the answer yes to the question, does my life matter? I mean, will you live out of it? Will you wake up each day and say, I don't always feel this way, and yet today I want to live out of this? Will you accept it? embrace it, live out of it. It's why it's a challenge. Because here's the thing that I've come to realize. I think if a lot of us were to stop looking to a job to fulfill us and accept the fact that God fills us already, we might actually find that we already have joy in the job we have. That there's joy in the thing you are doing currently and things in it that you might already love. When you take the weight of making you matter off of it, 
and you accept that you have mattered all along and that God fills you with that and you bring that to it, you might, in fact, find that the thing you've been adding all of that weight to is, in fact, something that you could find yourself really enjoying yourself doing or, at the very least, finding moments of joy in. It's a really powerful thing. Will you embrace that challenge? Will you accept it? Will you live out of it this week? And that brings me to the third thing here this morning, and it's this. Practice the joy of being present in whatever you set out to do. Practice the joy of being present in whatever you set out to do. I don't know if you've become aware of this or not, but there's a direct correlation between the decibel by which our heart asks the question, does my life matter? There's a direct correlation between the decibel our heart asks that question and the amount of joy we are currently experiencing in our life. For anybody in here that's ever asked that question or found your heart whispering that question, does my life matter? I want you to think about it. How much joy were you experiencing in your life at that moment? (laughs) Not much. I can tell you that. Not much. It's never in a moment of pure joy where you're like, does my life even matter? It's never there. It's never when somebody holds their child for the first time, beaming with joy and just marveling at what God can create, that they're like, does my life even matter? It's never in a moment where you're living out of who you've been created to be and taking joy in all that is around you in such a way that you find yourself saying, but does my life even matter? It doesn't happen. There's a direct correlation between the amount of joy we're experiencing and the decibel by which we ask that question. And and Solomon knows this. I love this. This is in chapter five. I read this this week. Ecclesiastes, I'm just gonna tell you, is probably my favorite book of the Bible. I know you're not supposed to have one because it's all God's word and it's it's all amazing. I do. Ecclesiastes is like my favorite book of the Bible. And I've read chapter five. I can't tell you how many times. And yet, as I read it this week, there was a part of it that just gripped me in a way that was profound. Gripped me in a way where I was like, thank you, Lord. You are so good. And I want to share this with you today. Verse 18, we're going to read on to the end of chapter 5. Solomon says, behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting. And I have to pause. Because he is going to use the word and has used the word Vapor, 38 times, meaningless. Vapor, 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 vapor. And so when he says, it is good and fitting, you pause and you go, thank you, Solomon, finally. And you listen. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. And then verse 20 is the one that just grabbed a hold of my heart and made me so excited to read this with you today. Verse 20, for he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. When we find ourselves in this moment where we're asking the question, where we're living that question, does my life matter? We kind of lift our heads up and we start to survey our days, don't we? We start to survey like, okay, so this is what I do and this is what I've been doing and this is how long I've been there and this is how long I've been trying to do this and this is what I've been investing my time in and this is what yesterday looked like and the week before that looked like. This is what tomorrow will look like and we kind of just even imagine that like stretching on like a road in front of us and we know everything that's gonna happen on it. And we survey all of it. And what Solomon is saying is, you won't have to question or survey or remember what yesterday looked like or the week before that looked like or the year before that looked like because what will happen is what verse 20 tells us, for he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. Because the reality is, is that when your heart is occupied by joy, 
you actually stop worrying about the answer to the question, does my life matter? Because you feel the truth of it in your own life. You do. And so friends, I want to give you an application. I want to give you a challenge this week. And it is this. I want you to go on a joy-seeking mission. I do. If you're a person who you're right now, you're saying, that's my question. I'm in the midst of this question. I don't like to ever say it out loud, but my heart is asking it. Does my life matter? I'm in that. I want to challenge you as firmly as I can. Go on a joy-seeking mission. And some of you might say, okay, I can do that, but my joy is like 3,000 miles away. No, no, no. I'm going to put some parameters on this joy-seeking mission. And it's this. I want you to go on the joy-seeking mission by doing the exact same thing that you do every single day. I want you to wake up tomorrow and I want you to do the same thing that you are going to do tomorrow. I want you to go to the same job. I want you to invest your, in the same family. I want you to do the same role, do the same things that you would do. If it's going to the store, I want you to go to the store. If it, whatever it is, I want you to do the exact same things. I just want you to walk out into your own life with your heart and your eyes and your ears and every sense you have open to experience the joy of God. And you say, you don't understand. <laughs> Because I would. There'd been moments in my life if somebody had ever said that to me, I'd be like, you don't understand the place where I go, like my work, it is joyless. There's not an ounce of joy in there. Like take pictures of people's faces. You won't see joy anywhere. It's not there. And I hear that and I understand that. And I know that that's how life can feel sometimes and that our lives feel like that sometimes for great lengths of time. And I get that. But I also want to tell you that that's not true. And the reason I say that is because there is no facet of human existence where God is not. There is no place in our existence, in our lives, in our realities where God is absent. And I don't mean he is present as though he's looking from a telescope from afar. I mean he is in and through, amidst and around all of it. He's there. There is no place that is so dark in the human experience that God leaves the building. Not one. He is present everywhere, which means that even in the darkest of places, if you open your eyes wide enough and you open your heart wide enough, you'll find that there's joy to be had. And I'm not saying it's gonna be a walk in the park and that it minimizes all the other struggles that are in that. What I am saying is there's no place that he is not, which means if you open your eyes and you open your heart and you open experience, there's joy to be had. Even in the people you can't stand around you, they are still made in the very image of God, which means they bear a part of his reflection somehow. And that if you were to look at them carefully and examine them, don't be weird, but like really do this, you would find that there is joy to be taken even in them. Because there he is. We live in a God-bathed, God-saturated world. If there is no place that God is not, if there is no facet of all creation that God is not, if he is the grand architect and has created everything, then every facet of everything around us bears his markings, bears his nuances, and expresses his heart, which means no matter where you are, no matter what you find yourself in every single day, there is an opportunity to open your eyes, your heart, your ears, your senses to the joy of who he is because you love him already. And so what I'm asking you is what is it that you don't see? If you're saying, I can, no, you don't understand. There's no joy in this. What is it that you're not seeing? What is it that you've closed yourself off to? What walls have you built around your heart to hide your safe self from the disappointment of a hope not fulfilled and so you've cut yourself off from joy altogether? Will you lower the walls? Will you open your eyes? Will you open your heart and go on a joy-seeking mission this week in your everyday life?
And here's why this is so important. I don't know what the right answer for your heart is when it comes to this question, does my life matter? I know that your life matters, but you already know that. But you're trying to live it. I don't know where God's going to take you. I don't know if he wants you to leave the job that you're in or stick in the job that you have. I don't know if he wants you to, to embrace something different or keep doing what you're doing. I don't know if it's about keeping same stuff with your family and just opening your eyes or changing it up. I don't know in terms of parenting. All, all this, I don't know. That's your journey with God and he leads you forward. What I do know is this. If you'll embrace the challenge to trust that nothing is wasted in God's economy you'll find that there's courage to step forward, even if you're unsure. If you embrace the challenge to stop looking for things to fill you with meaning and accept that God has filled you already, you'll find that you have great meaning and a life that matters a lot to bring to this world. And if you'll embrace the challenge to go on a joy-seeking mission, even in just this week and perhaps in your life beyond it, my hope and my prayer for you as you seek to live this question is that your heart would be overcome with joy, that your heart would be so full of joy that if it ever asks the question at all, does my life matter, it is such a whisper that with your entire life, you go, yes, yes, it does. Let's pray. God, we come before you today and we thank you for joy. And some of us need to be reminded of what it feels like some of us need to have our eyes and our hearts open to it. And so give us vulnerability, Lord. Give us courage and strength to do that. And I pray for everyone this week as we go on a joy-seeking mission that we would see you, that we would embrace you, and that we would open our eyes to a world that's saturated with you even when there's some hard stuff in it. God, give us courage and peace over the moments of our lives that we've carried with regrets, knowing that you shape us and you mold us and you carry us forward in them. And I pray that you use those things. We thank you that our lives do matter. And we pray that you open our hearts to that reality as we move forward from here. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before you go today, uh, as part of this series, what we've done is each week, we've kind of said, and here's what's coming next week. Because if... Maybe that's going to be your question, and I want you to know that and be excited about that. But two, if there's somebody in your life that's asking these questions and journeying through this stuff, uh, invite them. Uh, be a part of it. And so here's a heads up of what we'll be talking about next week. My name's Jerry. I'm 70 years old, and I just recently fully retired. As I reflect back, on the things that God has done in the last 70 years to shape and, and mold me. I've been thinking about what my legacy really looks like. What is it from the last 70 years that I'm leaving behind that will continue to matter to those close to me and, and matter to the kingdom? But I've also been thinking about what lies ahead. How will God continue to mold and shape me, to add to that legacy that I might leave behind? So if that's you, be excited about next week. And if it's not, be praying for next week, for people who ask that question, that they would find peace and encouragement and what it is to walk with God in that.